if somebody does not find a way to make themselves sticky or to be top of mind with those types of experiences, there's less loyalty now than there probably ever has been. And people are realizing that the base level quality at most stores is pretty similar, right? There's not just, there's not the the great store and the awful store anymore. There's a lot of really good stores. I mean, I think that that's where the people that you hire are gonna continue to be a big part of it. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Welcome, welcome, everyone. We have a great treat for all of the executives out there who are working for grocery retailers and for big box retailers because we're going to be digging into all things essentials. That means shopping for food, shopping for cleaning products, paper products, so much more. Um, Today I have joining me Andy Elwood, who is the co-founder and president of Basket. And the reason why their app is so fascinating is it was initially designed to help consumers find the best price for the products they have on their shopping list. Pretty self-explanatory, right? But over time, they've been collecting so much insight and knowledge into consumer behaviors, consumer preferences, that they've been able to use this data to help not just retailers, but brands and manufacturers as well. So I'm thrilled I had a chance to sit down with Andy because I got to learn more about the basket business, which is fascinating in and of itself. But then we kind of got into some of the new trends that they're seeing pop up as a result of COVID-19, whether it's grocery e-commerce, curbside pickup, bulk or panic buying, and really got into the nitty gritty of not just whether these behaviors will sustain over time, but what retailers and brands can do to rise to the occasion. So with that, Andy has great perspectives on what's happening in the marketplace and some great tips and best practices to boot. So I'm going to officially hand the mic over to him. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So to start out our conversation, why don't you share a little bit about Basket and most importantly, what inspired you to start the company? So Basket is, we like to say, the largest community of shoppers working together to never overpay for groceries again. And we emphasize on the never overpay because there's a lot of people out there that want to save money, but there's a lot of other people like, oh, you know, it costs what it costs. But if I see something that I bought yesterday for a much better price today, doesn't matter how where you are on the economics of the world, you never want to overpay for something. And my business partner, Neil, and I got started with the company a few years ago. We had both just come off of, you know, fortunately, successful exits from our previous startups. And we're just kind of thinking about what's annoying in the world right now. And groceries was one of the things that, that came up for us. Neil is the father of three. His wife is a surgeon in, in Washington, D.C. and very busy. And he got a box from Amazon. And he pulled out the 24 things inside and and saw the receipt for for about $300 late one Friday night and said, is that actually how much these things cost? Just kind of a question that he hadn't been to a local grocery store in a while. He'd been traveling on the road as a startup executive. And much to his wife's chagrin, he spent the weekend going to 10 different grocery stores recreating that receipt, saying, if I bought these same 24 items locally, how much would it have cost? Did I actually save money by having it delivered to me? And what he found was there was about a 25 to 30% savings if he had shopped locally 
But the biggest revelation for us was that the difference between the first store and the last store that he went to was about 40% on that one receipt that he got. And so being able to save 40% on a $300 receipt, that's starting to add up to be some real money. And when we thought about it, most of the other consumer items that we purchase with any frequency, whether it be travel or electronics or sporting goods or even bigger things like cars or homes, we have price and transparency, the ability to peek into, all right, if I change these features, if I buy this brand, I can actually know what it's going to cost before I make my purchase. But with groceries, the thing that we buy most frequently and is one of the top five uses of household GDP, we don't have any transparency whatsoever. We walk into a store, we hope that they're carrying what we want, and we hope that they're going to give us a fair price, but we don't actually know. And so that was just the curiosity that we had was what would it look like for us to be able to have confidence that we're making the best purchase decision for ourselves and our family each time that we go to the grocery store. And that's what inspired us to start Basket quite a few years ago. Yeah, pricing is such a fascinating topic, right? Because there are so many factors that can influence it. I mean, looking at it from an executive standpoint, right? I mean, everyone's trying to be a bit more competitive, but then they also kind of want to maximize the return and the profit potential of those purchases, depending on where their business is, consumer behaviors, things of that nature. So you kind of hit on the problem, right? That there is no complete transparency into all the different grocery options? How does price kind of shake out? So, I mean, how did this parlay into the basket experience today, right? So you noted that there's like a community-driven component here. So how does that really shake out from an experience perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So Neil and I, not coming from the grocery world, not coming from everyday retail. We naively, I'll just be honest, naively said, hey, you know what? In order to make this smart shopping list a reality, we just need to go get all the prices from all the grocery stores. And we walked into a handful of these grocery stores and got meetings saying we wanted to build a first smart shopping list. And our pitch to them was, we're building a smart shopping list. Please give us all your prices. And I don't have to tell you that it didn't go so well. (laughs) We got laughed out of a few offices. We got escorted out of a few offices. And so my previous company, the company that I was a part of just before starting Basket, was Waze, the traffic and navigation application. And I was with them through to the acquisition by Google Maps. And with Waze, we used drivers on the road to create smart maps. And so the question that we asked ourselves was, could we use shoppers in the stores to create a smart shopping list? And that was kind of where this whole community aspect came from and has been what has given us the ability to build the largest independent database of both products as well as prices across 120,000 grocery stores in the U.S. And the way that we've done it is we have secret shoppers or what we like to call commerce moderators at all the major cities, top cities all across the country. And when they're in shopping for their groceries, or maybe they'll make a special trip to the store for some of you know, our data partners, they're able to get the actual price that's listed on the shelf for every product that's inside the store. And because we've been doing it long enough, we now have a lot of back-end artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that help us know the frequency with which stores change prices, what prices go on sale and when. And we're able to update all that information to share it back to our shoppers But what has been born out of that is the Basket Insights platform, which is specifically used by a lot of retailers and a lot of manufacturers and even some consultants and investment banks where they're learning to understand the trends through the pricing that they see at the shelf. And because it's being uploaded by our shoppers in the stores in real time, 
that information is made available to our clients the moment that it goes through our system. And it's usually you know, maybe an hour or so from the time that it's uploaded at the store, it goes through our quality check system, and then it's uploaded into our database. And so our clients are actually getting almost real-time, same-day information, whereas a lot of the prior data partnerships that were available to them in the past from some of the larger, more legacy data companies, you know, the fastest that they're getting access to that information is maybe a week, but more typically it's a 30-day process. And so that was another really exciting part that's been born out of focusing on the shopper first, but then what we like to call the data exhaust has turned out to be a very valuable resource for us to be able to share with our partners. Interesting. So from a data perspective, what exactly do the manufacturers and the retailers get? Is it behavioral insight, like in terms of purchases? Is it competitive data? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So what we've been really interested to see, just kind of, we learn a lot from our customers. And we've been really fortunate to have amazing partners across both retailers, manufacturers, and then, you know, kind of the professional services groups that have really jumped in and doubled down to say, hey, this would be even more valuable for me if you could share this information for me. So for the manufacturers, what they've been most interested in is understanding the exact, at this store, it my product costs this price. Most of the other data that's out there is a little bit more scrubbed and anonymized and maybe more generalized for Southern California or Orange County, as opposed to we're saying this store in Laguna Beach has your product at this price as of yesterday. And so being able to really understand that has been interesting, but also with that to be able to understand the competitors' prices at the same time. And being able to get a historical look at when each of one of your SKUs was on sale, were your competitors on sale? The same price, were they lower prices? And being able to understand the frequency with which those prices change has been really interesting. And also just the accountability of actually making sure that the price that they negotiated, the sale that they decided to run and negotiate with the retailers are actually being presented that way in the store has been something that we've been able to work with a lot of our manufacturers on. Retailers, we've learned how far retailers go with whether it's store clerks or assistant managers, actually, you know, secret shopping other stores in their neighborhood to see who's got what prices. They're now using our shoppers to be able to gather that information. That's been another really interesting thing that we've been able to partner with retailers on. And then the professional services, everyone from big, huge investment banks to hedge funds, where they're focusing on a lot of different ways. But some people are taking a big survey snapshot of grocery as a whole. You know, our prices trending up, prices trending down. Or sometimes for some of our activist shareholders, they're saying, hey, the manufacturer that I'm looking to buy more shares of or sell shares of, what's their relationship with Walmart this week? What's their relationship with Whole Foods this week? What's their relationship with Amazon? And being able to gather that information has been really valuable for them and something that was not actually how we initially built the business, but some of our investors as a company, we've got a really amazing group of investors that I've been working with. They said this would actually be helpful for the firms that I work with or where I've also invested money. And that was kind of how that was a side benefit to that data exhaust I mentioned. Oh, it's fascinating. And it's definitely interesting to hear how your business has evolved and how that underpinning on serving the customers, right? Giving them a tangible benefit for a pain point that has always existed, how that's kind of accelerated or built upon itself over time. So thank you for sharing that. But I guess it leads to the question of 
the continued evolution of your business or your mission, especially in these times, right? So I could imagine looking at the value prop for brands and retailers and investors. I mean, this time in particular is significant, right? Especially for grocery, any essential retailer, right? Because they've been able to remain open, but they've had to really adapt their experiences, their processes, all of that. But but it's also been a significant time of change for consumers as well, how they're shopping even for groceries and and essential goods. So how has that trickled down, if at all, to the basket business? Have these new business models and opportunities emerged during this time? Or how has the mission changed or been reaffirmed, I guess, in in light of COVID-19 and everything that's been going on? Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a very busy year for us, to say the least. We started you know, focusing specifically a few years ago when we when we launched Basket on the in-store experience. What were the prices in-store? And we focused there specifically because it was 96% of America still goes to the grocery store, right? Prior to the pandemic, the majority of folks, that's still how they get their groceries. And that was where we started. And as we started to bring online e-commerce grocery retailers on the independent ones, they had their pricing, but their pricing was usually pretty significantly more than going to the store yourself, but you're paying for the convenience and the speed with which it was being delivered. And then even the stores that had an e-commerce option, it was a different price than the price in the store. One of the big changes that we've seen is there's been a consolidation of the spread between what it used to cost for online groceries and going to the store yourself. And I think that that's a spread that a lot of the e-commerce retailers have been, been, I would say, happy to eat, probably eat into their margins a little bit over the past six to nine months. But I think that it's something that they've been willing to do to expand the number of people that are actually using their services and getting that experience. I grew up in Texas and my entire family's from the Midwest. Going to the grocery store is not viewed as a chore. It's kind of the fun thing that you do. It's the opportunity. It's to see the new products. You get to talk to your local butcher and your baker and the candlestick maker, right? Whereas now living in New York City, I have probably only two choices of really where I'm going to go for my groceries this week. So what we found was the urban shoppers, they haven't changed too much about how they shop, right? Most of us shop for the next couple of days. Whereas suburban shoppers, they already have their minivan or their SUV ready to be loaded up and they're buying for the next week or two. And those are much bigger shops usually. But what's happened over the past six to nine months, a couple of things. The size of the shopping trip is a little bit smaller and it's a little bit more consistent than it was previously. There's a lot more variety in the past from one week to the next. But right now, over 85% of what's on someone's shopping list this week is what's going to be on their shopping list next week. So they're not mixing it up quite as much as they used to. The other thing that we found is that curbside pickup, I think, is going to be the really big, sticky winner in all of this. So the experience of actually having it delivered hasn't been as as exciting or as sticky as I think a lot of people had hoped it would be, or at least the, the delivery companies had hoped it would be during the pandemic. But curbside pickup is something that we're seeing from a lot of our shoppers that is really something that they're excited about. But what's been really, really interesting for us, and this is something we didn't see coming, but we're really fascinated by, is a lot of folks have two shopping lists now, one that's labeled curbside pickup and one that's in store. Things that come in bags, boxes, and cans, where it doesn't matter, I could pick it off the shelf or you could pick it off the shelf, we're both going to get the same can of chicken noodle soup. Those are the things that people are doing curbside pickup or even in some cases delivery for because those are the things that it doesn't matter who picked it out. But when it comes to 
produce, when it comes to meat and seafood, and even dairy, people like to actually check the dates. They like to check the expiration date on the milk or the eggs. They like to squeeze the avocados. They like to, to actually see the meat that they're going to be buying for that evening's dinner. And so people are actually doing curbside pickup for half their list, taking the car, parking it, and then going back into the store and getting the meat and seafood produce and dairy themselves. And so kind of split it into two trips. So they're saving a little bit of time with those things that are bags, boxes, and cans. But they're actually, now that they can get back into the store, they're choosing to do so. And that's one of the things that we didn't see coming, but it's been really fascinating for us to watch. That is very interesting. I know personally, and we'll get into grocery e-commerce or curbside in a little bit, I think a little bit deeper. But I know one thing I'm very particular about is my produce. I mean, I've tried ordering online a few times or for delivery, and there's always something that is like either like a little moldy or not as good. And I just get like annoyed. So like, I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat as me. But my main question for you right now is around bulk buying or panic buying, what you were seeing around that? Because I know obviously at the start, it was impossible to find any sort of paper product or cleaning product. A lot of conversations are still being had around, is there going to be a second wave as we get into winter and flu season? There are a few rumblings of uncertainty and I guess maybe a little bit of panic. So what did you see at the start of COVID and do you anticipate this wave or or surge and panic or bulk buying to come back around? Yeah, I think the amount of unknowns we walked into back in March and April, there was the panic buying. And I think that, you know, I truthfully still have six or seven cans of soup that I bought, you know, on March 13th that I just have never gotten around to eating for whatever reason. And but I think that it won't be the crazy rush, right? I think that if there is a second wave, which I hope there won't be, but I think that given everything else that's going on in the world in 2020, why not? But I don't think it'll be quite the mad rush that it was in March. And I think that, that people kind of know what it would look like and what they need and what they don't need. They're not experimenting quite as hard. I also think the supply chain really understood what it would take to keep those things in stock. And if, if we had to do it again, there's a lot more information now about where that demand would exist. But I think that when we look at bulk, one of the things that you can do within the basket application is you can say, see similar products. So you know, let's say you love Charmin, Extra Soft, and you typically buy the 12-pack. You can actually click on, when you're looking at that item in the basket app, you can say, see similar products. And it'll actually show you other products that have similar characteristics, but they're a different brand, and they might be a different size. And we actually get down to unit count. If you want to get super nerdy and get all the way down to unit count, we'll actually say for this one, it's 37 cents a roll. And for this one, it's 48 cents a roll. What we actually saw was that the actual unit cost in the bulk packaging for a lot of these big box stores, it was actually cheaper to actually buy four different packs of six than it was to buy a 24 pack in some cases. And being able to actually see that down to the unit cost, if you cared to get into that level of detail, is all possible within the basket app. And so we actually show you that from store to store. Hey, maybe instead of buying a 24-pack here, buy two 12-packs there. And we're able to actually give you that information and share that with you. And so I think that that's one of the things that we have just observed, not to the point that it was malicious, but just something that was out there. And especially with unemployment being the way it's been this year, uh, a lot of people working from home and their different purchasing behaviors. Now, with a lot of kids schooling from home. The number of things that you need to buy, we just want people to have all the options and all the information in front of them before they make those decisions. And that's what, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on with within the basket application. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And to your point, it is interesting to see the actual price shaking out at the item or SKU level, right? To do something in bulk versus individually, because you'd automatically think, oh, all this stuff is packaged together. They're going to give me a better deal, but that's not always the case. So that's definitely a very interesting point. And I know that this whole bulk mentality can really come to life while folks shop online, right? Like when you go to Amazon, you're like, you do the subscription or you say, oh, I'm just going to buy five of these because it's getting delivered to my doorstep and it's just easier, right? So that kind of ties to my question for you around grocery e-commerce. And I know you said you brought on a few online grocers to help address that spike in interest. You know, if people are at risk and they don't want to go to the store or they don't have the option, right? So we saw a very similar spike in e-commerce, new use of grocery e-commerce services. So where do you think that trend is heading? I mean, we're still kind of figuring out like how e-commerce rates will level out over time, like after that huge spike. But here's what you're seeing from a behavioral standpoint. Yeah. When we first got started with Basket. One of the companies that we studied a lot was Kayak.com. And when Kayak first came out, you couldn't buy anything on Kayak, right? Kayak was simply just an informational site. But I found that Kayak is actually an easier place for me to do the search and price discovery that I want to do than really any other sites, even though I'm probably going to buy my flights from American Airlines because I have status there and I, and I like the staff and I have a bunch of friends that work there because I grew up in Texas. But at least I know how much more that flight costs if it costs any more, right? I can check it and on kayak and say, hey, you know, Delta's this, United's this, American's this. You know what? For that price, I'm going to go with American. And I think that that's the thing that we are really bullish on is people are starting to expect that type of information around all of the purchases that they make, right? They're used to being able to do it with a lot of other things that they buy. But grocery is now one of those things that's going to be fallen into that category of expectation of being able to compare prices in real time. I mean, even look at like what Honey, which is now owned by PayPal, but what they did for e-commerce, right? The ability to showcase, this is what the price is on this website, or there's actually a better price available if you go to a different site or use this discount code. And that's actually something that we're working on right now. The ability to have a basket widget for your Chrome browser extensions, the ability for you to actually say, hey, on these e-commerce websites, it costs this much, and these e-commerce websites cost this much. And then what we think is the, the real magic here is while you're shopping online to click the button and say, what would it be at a local store? And actually have all of that information right in front of you. And that's something that we think people are going to start really start to expect going forward. I know that a lot of our shoppers already do expect that, but being able to make it that easy for somebody to click and compare, I think is going to put the pressure on a lot of the e-commerce players to really take into account how they are still competing with a local store, still competing with a local brick and mortar location, even though they have the warehousing and they have the ability to ship anywhere in the country quickly. It's something that I think is going to be, for us, our mission, as I said, is always shopper first. And so I think that it will continue to drive competition and really ultimately get down to people making a choice of what's more important for them that day of the week uh, on that shopping trip is going to the store something that you are okay doing. You know, Maybe you're seeing an outbreak of the pandemic and you just want to know, hey, what's my best e-commerce option? Fantastic. But then you see that it's going to be $70 more than what it would be if you went to the local store. Well, maybe there's a local delivery service that you can choose from instead. So you know, really just giving people all the information that they need to be able to make the best decision for themselves. I love that for a few reasons. I love that 
that one-click widget experience really continues to give consumers the power over their experience and their purchase decisions. It allows them to have that transparency. But you're also integrating the store and the most of all the local store because I think a lot of the time when I'm browsing online, it's difficult to feel out all of your options because like say if you're just going to Google, you're going to be dominated, your mindset is going to be dominated by the big brands or whoever can bid on the top spot, right? So you're kind of leveling the playing field or democratizing that ability to get in front of the customer to everyone. And I think that is so necessary right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that we, as we've seen Wikibuy and Rakuten and Honey, you know, just the success that they've had, none of them have touched grocery yet. And it's a really challenging thing to deal with. And it's taken us years to be able to build the database that we have. But we've seen how their business models have worked across the different categories that they play in. And we think that there's a real opportunity with us here. So be be sure to check basket.com soon for that release to be out. Awesome. So we hit on quite a few overarching trends, I think, not just in grocery, but in retail in general. So the ongoing volatility of the situation, right? Like, will there be a second wave? Will there not be? How do we best prepare for that? The economic uncertainty, a lot of folks dealing with unemployment, kids at home, strapped for time and resources. And I think just generally speaking, we're we're hearing a lot about the erosion of loyalty in retail. I mean, retail has always struggled, I think, with winning customer loyalty and keeping it. A few brands do it really well, but it's always been a bit of a pain point. So I think three or so core trends that are really rising to the top now. So I would love your take on how this will impact the long tail of the customer mindset and their behavior. So obviously, Basket's business is driven by price transparency, helping consumers maximize that value of the shopping trip. Do you think that consumers are going to continue to be more price conscious and value driven? Because I know like when you talk about the the Whole Foods of the world, the Trader Joe's of the world, not necessarily always the best price, but there's something about that brand experience that keeps people loyal. Do you think there's going to be a shakeout there? Yeah, I think that what we're seeing, you mentioned you know, Traders and Whole Foods, absolutely, too, that there's a very certain type of experience you have, Aldi and Lidl being another two that have, if you go to those stores, you kind of know what you're going to experience. I think that's a real opportunity for some of the more legacy grocers in the country to be able to find ways to create that experience where the grocery store is not a hassle, but it's an opportunity. So I think that that's where I think the loyalty comes in. I don't think it's going to be through pricing or, or games along those lines, but more through the experiences and the selection. I think shopping local, right, is is something that there's more and more ability to understand that I'm supporting local farmers, local businesses, local craftsmen with what I purchase and where. And I think that that trend will continue and will be an opportunity for a competitive advantage for retailers going forward. But I think that you're absolutely correct that if somebody does not find a way to make themselves sticky or to be top of mind with those types of experiences, there is less loyalty now than there probably ever has been. And people are realizing that the base level quality at most stores is pretty similar, right? There's not just there's not the the great store and the awful store anymore. There's a lot of really good stores. And I think that that's where the people that you hire are going to continue to be a big part of it. I was at a university 
conference on the future of grocery. And it was 800 students that were there learning how to be the best future proprietors of, of grocery store and the, the opportunities that are in the grocery marketplace. Fascinating to see the way that they're thinking about groceries and being the next generation of grocery store executives. It's, and I think that that's the, you know, thinking through that piece, I think that we're going to continue to see the consumer's expectations evolve. But I think it's a lot of it's going to be around the experience, a lot of it's going to be around the people, a lot of it's going to be about the product selection that will be the opportunities to maintain loyalty. But that, again, during the pandemic, people were willing to switch brands, right? So not just switch stores, but switch brands within a store when there was that shortage. And I think people realized, oh, well, this brand isn't that much different than the other brand. I've just always bought the other brand. And it's pretty comparable, pretty similar, right? And and I think that that's goes to show that the education of the consumer um, is a little bit more flexible than it used to be because the selection is so much larger than it used to be and people are you know a little bit more adventurous they're like ooh let's try something new and i think that that's something that i think will continue and i think it's an opportunity for both manufacturers and retailers to dive in on yeah definitely some great points there i know myself personally i've always been loyal to a product or a brand, largely because that's just what I've always used, whether it's because I grew up using a certain products or certain brands, you know, cleaning products. I'm just like, oh, like I always see Lysol, so I'm just going to grab Lysol. I couldn't find Lysol products anywhere for months, right? And I, I know a lot of people experience the same. So I was like, ah, you know, like out of urgency, like I just need some sort of sanitizing wipes. Let me use this one. Oh, it's, it's good enough. So there's that moment for... And that opportunity for smaller brands, even private label brands, right, to kind of swoop in and be that answer or that that source of access that consumers may not be able to get elsewhere. So I think those are some really fantastic points, Andy. And I think we covered a lot of ground talking about the broader market trends, the consumer behaviors, and how Basket is trying to bring opportunity to all parties, both the retailers and the brands, as well as the consumers. So this has been a fascinating conversation, but I do want to get a little tactical to close things out because, again, we talked about so much. We talked about the future of e-commerce, price transparency, product availability, local shopping. So if we were to kind of drill this down into some closing recommendations or takeaways for especially the grocers and even the big box retailers, right, that may be listening right now, executives from these businesses, what should they be prioritizing from an experience standpoint to really, I guess, appeal to consumers, not just appeal to them, but maximize that new loyalty opportunity that exists today? I mean, just based on, again, just based on where you're at in the marketplace and the conversations maybe that you've been having with retailers right now, I mean, where, where do the opportunities lie? Yeah, I think that when Amazon first really got ramped up with, and I think it was specifically electronics, you know, in the mid-2000s, Best Buy and, and back then Circuit City, but a couple of the other, the radio shacks of the world, right? They all of a sudden became showrooms for what you eventually were going to buy on Amazon. Right. And Amazon was willing to take the cut and they were willing, you know, they just were going for market share. They weren't going for profitability there. You could walk into your Best Buy and you, you look at the headphones or you look at the video game systems that you wanted and then you bought it online. Right. And I think that, that there's an opportunity to learn from that for grocery retailers. That if right now their square footage footprint for the store is 80% display and 20% storage, what would it look like to change that? 50-50 or maybe 40-60, 
right? That you don't have to have every single can and every single bag and every single box of food that you, you have out on the shelves. But what if you merchandised it? What if you made it an experience that was lovely to walk through and there was more focus on the produce and the meat and the seafood and the dairy and the recipes and the cooking and the ability to actually kind of be immersed in those things and make everything a lot easier to find? So that it is that experience. It is the ability to get to know the people at that store. It is the ability for those people to get to know the shoppers. And then just be smarter about you know how you keep things in stock. I think that that's one of the things that I've been hearing from a lot of folks that are thinking about the huge, massive footprints that a lot of these stores have. Is it necessary to have all of it out there at one time? Or what would it look like if you actually created a, you know, a massive living room or a massive cooking demonstration, a massive place with a bunch of different settings that you wanted to be and you just ended up purchasing things that were that look like the things that you would take you would want to have in your home. And I think that to me is one of the things that just has captured my imagination for the future of retail and an opportunity to build a, the type of place. I'm not saying turn it into the third place like a Starbucks, right, where you just always want to hang out there. But the type of place where you've got an extra hour in between dropping kids off at soccer practice and a birthday party, let's go to the grocery store. What would that look like? What if it became a place like that? And while you're there, you picked up a couple other things that you'd forgotten. The ability to kind of get people to come back more frequently for smaller shops might be one of those opportunities. And I think also just the narrative and the storytelling around the reason we're stocking these products these are the local ones. Everything here came from within 100 miles. The makers are within 100 miles of us. And we're really proud of that for supporting the local economy. And we love that you support us by buying local through a local store, right? Those are the types of things that the way that I, I think that the retailers need to be thinking about. And especially for the massive national chains, it brings it down and makes it feel like it's a local store, even though you know it's it's actually headquartered in Cincinnati or you know it's actually headquartered in Arkansas, right? Being able to drill down and say, hey, this is my store. This is the place that I go and have that be a story that you tell your family. And like you mentioned, it's a generational thing. You know, when I go home to Texas, I go to the same grocery store that, that I went to when I was in high school because it's still kind of the same thing as that it was when I was in high school, even though it's been a while. And being able to kind of visit my family and say, yep, let's swing by that grocery store. It's still fun to go back. And there's even at this point, only a couple of the same team members that were there. But it's still been a, a, one of the things that I think is a potential model for the future. And I think that that's a, a really fun, really fun opportunity to really think about how to make local feel even more local. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because I feel like, especially now, people want to support on the local level. There's that greater urgency that that needs to drive community and connection and support. So here's hoping that we'll see, you know, similar activity in grocery because to your point, I think there are a lot of really exciting opportunities, I think, for all folks in this particular category to reimagine what that experience looks like, Andy. Thanks again so much for taking the time out to talk shop with me. You're actually our first guest to really dig into grocery so much. So really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your experiences with us. Where can folks go to learn more about Basket if they're interested in seeing what you guys are all about? Yeah, basket.com, just exactly the way it sounds like it sounds like it's spelled. We were fortunate to be able to snag that domain name when we were early on in our our building of the company. We've got a lot more information there. And my email address is andy at basket.com. Field a lot of just curiosities uh, is something that I really enjoy in my role with the company is to just be able to brainstorm. We 
very fortunate to have 20, 30 billion data points over the years uh, between prices as well as you know our shopper information. And so just brainstorming with people. You know, we're a young enough company that we're not looking for customers, we're looking for partners and clients that want to be invested in creating the future together. And you know, we're really grateful for the, the folks we've had the chance to work with and the conversations that we have had. And it's been, you know, been fun. You know, people that where it wasn't quite the right time when we first started talking with them in 2018, because of everything that's happened with the pandemic, we were some of the only people that had the information that everybody needed. And so we've been able to kind of package that and share it in unique ways. And that's something that we love. And uh, we're really excited about what the future holds. Beautiful, Andy. Thanks again so much for uh, taking the time out. It was a real pleasure to meet you, get your take on everything happening in the space and, and learning more about Basket. Fascinating business and really wish you guys the best of luck right now. Thank you so much. And as always, everyone out there listening, thank you for taking the time out to join Andy and me for this grocery-driven chat. If you have any follow-up questions or comments on this episode, feel free to drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints. If you want to sit in on more candid conversations like this one, please subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and frankly, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll uh, join us for the next one. Thanks again, everyone, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.